0: You're listening to The Middle of Nowhere.
1: Welcome to The Middle of Nowhere. My name is River, and the guy across from me is...
0: Kyle. My name is Kyle.
1: And let's just dive right in. Let's get right into it. Rock, paper, scissors is how we determine who goes first.
0: Let's do it. We're so, gonna do uh, rock paper scissors shoot, and then we have to say what we're doing. Correct. Because this is audio.
1: But you don't follow your own rule. I'm all going the time. to this
0: time. <laughs> I'm going to this time. Okay. 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 Ready? Mm-hmm. Rock paper scissors shoot. I rolled paper.
1: I also did paper. He rolled okay. paper. I rolled he paper. rolled it right off his hand. I
0: rolled it right off my hands. <laughs> uh, here, let's do it again. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. Shoot. I did rock.
1: I did scissors. Which means
0: I get to go first. Dang. Yeah.
1: dang it, dang it, dang it. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm excited for this one. Coming off of what I did last week with Polybius and that story and that big epic saga that we dealt with.
1: That is a great way to, to describe it, because that's exactly what it was.
0: It really, really was. I thought that we would take a turn to light and happy today.
1: I, I love a good happy story.
0: So today we're going to talk about cool types of octopuses.
1: <gasps> Yay! Kyle loves octopuses.
0: It's my favorite, favorite, favorite type of creature in the whole wide world.
1: So much so that he has read entire books on it several i think right
0: several so today we're going to talk about just a few we're going to talk about eight i have pictures for every one that we're going to talk about so get your discord up and then you'll be able to check them out on our social media which is at in the dark field and you can see all these photos for yourself here we go i'm excited
1: let's do it i'm locked and loaded
0: so the first one we're going to talk about is the common octopus. That's the name of it. And this is likely one of the things that comes to your head when you think octopus. Uh, so you hear the stories about octopus being trained and semi-domesticated in labs, like the ones that can open jars and play catch and like splash water on people they don't like. Uh, it's the common octopus. It's this octopus. Okay. They hunt at night. They're sometimes cannibalistic during mating, which I think is kind of metal. And uh, they possess a type of venom that can subdue prey. So they can eat. They hang out in tropic waters around the world like the Caribbean, which is probably why we see them a lot and have studied them a lot because we're out that way a lot as a people.
1: Beautiful out there. Why wouldn't you want to be out there? Why wouldn't you
0: want to be there? You see this cool octopus called the common octopus. It just looks like a regular old octopus.
1: How dare you call any octopus common? They are anything but. And Kyle will tell you why right now.
0: (laughs) They're just very (laughs) smart. Yes. Very resilient Mm -hmm. and they can fit almost anywhere they're like they can just squeeze their whole body through a little bitty place and
1: they got two brains and whatever species i'm not sure if they all can or or not i don't really know a whole lot about octopuses but like when they color change it's so crazy
0: oh yeah the act of camouflage is really dope
1: yeah it's it's and it's in It's insane how they can perfectly match a surface and you literally cannot see them.
0: Oh, yeah. And we still try and struggle to figure out how they do it or why they do it. It's pretty dope.
1: Anything mysterious is my lane.
0: The next octopus that we're going to talk about, though, is the Caribbean Reef Octopus. And I'm going to send you a photo of that.
1: Oh, wow, look at him. Is he small or does he just look small in that picture? He is
0: slightly small. He is the Caribbean Reef Octo guy, and he's a wonderful nighttime hunter. What I like about him is their color.
1: Yeah, beautiful.
0: They're mostly translucent with like a blue tinge, like a blue hue, and their skin is reflective, uh, meaning they glimmer if you shine light on them, which I think is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, you can kind of see it in the picture between the tentacles. It looks like... Almost like glow in the dark is like scattered, like splashed on the whatever that skin. I don't know. Mm-hmm, what is mm-hmm. that called? Yeah.
0: Skin. <laughs> Flesh. <laughs> Flesh. Uh, but yeah, it's it's naturally occurring, which they think is really cool. And I think it's really cool, too. Oh, yeah. And the next one that we're going to talk about and see, this is light and fun. We're just blazing through them.
1: I love this. I mean, that, that last one. What, what was it again?
0: That was the Caribbean reef octopus.
1: Yeah, how cute. What a cute This cutie. one
0: is the coconut octopus.
1: Oh, I've seen these before.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. The coconut octopus is found in tropical waters of the Western Pacific. It's named for the practice of carrying around empty coconut shells or really any shells as they walk around the ocean floor and they use them as uh, shields to protect them in case of danger. They could just like close them in and use their suction to keep them up.
1: Yes, it's so cool to watch. I
0: think it's super cool. They
1: just like suction themselves into the coconut and like seal it perfectly.
0: Yeah, and it's like... That's just one of the most fascinating things I've seen. They just like carry it around and they're like, dude, this is kind of my house. You I have a question. I have an answer.
1: Do they open the coconut or do they just happen upon a broken coconut?
0: Interestingly enough, I do have an answer for this and they do not open the coconut. They just use empty shells uh, that they find.
1: I'm sure they're plentiful in that area.
0: Yeah. And, and really they can use any number of things that... We've seen them use, trying to use strainers, like metal strainers that have been discarded. <laughs> you know, uh, that's
1: awful. That that's in the ocean. It's but, awful, but like, yeah,
0: we, we see them using those things. So they really it doesn't have to be coconuts. Mm-hmm. That's just what's really prevalent, right? And the next one that we're gonna talk about is the California Two Spot.
1: Two Spot. That sounds like I don't even know some kind of country band or something. <laughs>
0: The California two-spot is a really cool bright yellow color. Each of the eyes containing a bright blue color, so they really kind of pop out. It's just really, really cool to look at, and it's also remarkably one of the friendliest species of octopuses that we know. While most octopuses swim away and appear skittish, the California two-spot will swim right up to you and engage with you, and it's really, really very cool.
1: Wow, very cool. How big do they get? Are they large or...
0: Uh, they are more of a medium-sized octopus. Mm,
1: I'm definitely going to look up videos of divers interacting with them.
0: I definitely recommend that you do because it is definitely very, very cute. Um, moving right along here, the next one is the blue ringed octopus. This buddy is a little teeny tiny guy.
1: Oh...
0: The Blue Ring Octopus is relatively small in size in a subset of octoboys, and despite only growing to be about five inches, their venom is considered one of the deadliest to humans in the world, with one oh, bite what? containing enough venom to kill twenty-six humans. <gasps> Thankfully, they're really, really docile, and you'd have to really aggravate them to get them to bite you, but from what I read, their bites are painless, so you don't even know what happened, and then you just die within a couple of minutes. Holy
1: crap, (laughs) but he's so cute, though. He's
0: very, very cute. They're very tiny.
1: Teeny, teeny, tiny boy. But I
0: just thought that was interesting that something so tiny contains one of the most potent venoms to humans.
1: Yeah, crazy.
0: Next, we're going to talk about another pretty commonly known Octopus species, and that's the giant Pacific octopus.
1: Yes. When I think octopus, this is what I think of. The giant Pacific octopus? Is yeah. that what you said? Mm-hmm.
0: And at first you might think, well, there's nothing really special about that. They just look like a regular old octopus. They don't glow. You know, they don't do anything crazy. Uh, but they're actually the largest octopus species that we know of, with the largest on record and outrageous 156 pounds.
1: Wow. It's also the
0: longest living species of octopus we have on record, with a lifespan of three to five years, as opposed to the one year lifespan of most other octopus species. It hangs out in California and Oregon coasts and usually keeps to itself.
1: Interesting. Yeah, this picture you can really see how massive it is. And does this species change color or anything like that? Or are they just kind of that reddish brown color?
0: I do believe that um, all Octopus species.
1: Oh, they all do? I, I believe
0: that they all change color to some
1: mm, extent. Interesting.
0: I could be wrong about that. Don't quote him on that. Don't quote me on that. Now it look like I don't know much about octopus. <laughs> oh, God.
1: Oh, no. A crisis is emerging within you.
0: I don't know what that noise was. <laughs> I don't know. I, that did not signify anything to me. <laughs> the next one we're going to talk about is the mimic octopus.
1: Like the po- isn't there a Pokemon called mimic ditto ditto
0: and maybe and maybe there is one called mimic I don't know. This is the mimic octopus and it's Strange. taken it is taken camouflage to a whole new level. in addition to changing its color and texture, the mimic octopus will change the way it moves its arms to impersonate a variety of other marine species. Apparently, Divers have reportedly seen mimic octopuses imitating even more wild species, such as anemones, jellyfish, feather stars, giant crabs, mantis shrimp, and seahorses. So,
1: interesting. They
0: imitate the way that they walk or swim as in addition to how they look.
1: As a survival tactic.
0: It's very, very interesting. The gift that I sent you is very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Like, you can't even really tell what you're looking at. You definitely would not guess octopus. You'd be like, I don't know, some weird sea creature I've never seen in my life.
0: The last one that we're going to talk about is why I wanted to do this episode. This is the blanket octopus.
1: That looks like a squid mixed with a jellyfish.
0: This octopus looks absolutely insane. It has a huge section of skin floating out behind it. Uh, making it look like a blanket. There's some, also some very drastic sexual dimorphism going on, with the males only growing to a few inches long, but the females grow up to six feet.
1: Wow, that's cool! Holy shit! They use it their. It looks st- like it seriously looks alien. Like it looks like something you would see on an alien planet.
0: Yeah, they, they look very, very, very different than anything you usually see with an octopus. Yes. Uh, they use their skin like uh, sails. They can like pull it in and let it go to like trick predators and make them think they're bigger than they are. Um, they can use the boring old ink as a defense mechanism, too. But they can also do something really, really fucking metal.
1: Tell me about it.
0: Apparently... A study released in 1963 showed that blanket octopuses were immune to the deadly venom of the man-of-war jellyfish. In fact, it showed that they hunt those jellyfish, rip off their deadly venom-filled stingers, and then carry them around and use them as whips to fend off predators and hunt for food.
1: Holy cow! Which I
0: think is metal as fuck.
1: Whoa, that is so methodical and intense. Exactly. I'm into that.
0: It's so fucking crazy. Wow. And that is eight different types of octopuses that I think are cool.
1: I agree that they're cool.
0: And there'll be pictures of all of them on our social media at In a Dark Field where you can see all of these cool things for yourself. Indeed. You can. Now let's take a fucking break and we'll see what River has to say.
1: I have to pee.
0: Okay, we're back from break, and uh, I just realized how dreadfully short my section was. <laughs> so I'm sorry to everyone about that. Apparently, my content contribution this week is extra light. And uh, But you know what? I just wanted to share some cool-ass octopuses with you.
1: It was fun. I liked it.
0: So now we're going to hear what you have to say, which I hear is a little bit more like a narrative.
1: Kind of sortily, a little bitly. Let's... Just start talking about it. Okay. (laughs) Until around the 17th century, all over the world, the majority of relationships were strategic transactions between families. The feelings of the couple were of little to no importance to the marriage back in ye old times. Very true. The idea that you might love and or be physically attracted to the person you marry would be deemed extremely irresponsible, if not completely ridiculous. For example, March 27th, 1489, Medina del Campo, Spain. In a treaty signed between England and Spain, two-year-old Tudor boy Arthur committed to Catherine of Aragon, who was three years old. They were engaged. Oh, that seems logical. (laughs) Nobles were not the only class to take part in strictly transactional marriages. As I mentioned previously, people who considered emotion and physical attraction over financial and material gain would have been deemed irresponsible and odd for much of history around the world. That being said, today we're diving into... Hmm? Dating Practices of the Past.
0: Ooh, interesting. Okay, all right. Let's find out how... I might go about getting me a woman in the past.
1: (laughs) All right. In Europe and America, attitudes of love and marriage began to shift during the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. This time period featured plenty of courtship rituals and expectations for young bachelors and bachelorettes. To determine if a young woman was ready for the commitment of marriage, the following ritual would be performed. Let's hear it. Step one. After parental approval, your parents invite your date to the family home. Step two, watch casually as your mother ties you up from your feet to your waist in a heavy sack, because this is totally normal. Step three, get into your parents' bed, fully clothed, next to your date, under the eye of your parents, who strategically placed a thick wooden board between you. Finally, they tuck you in for the night.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) this was called bundling a popular practice in Ireland, rural United Kingdom and the New England colonies.
0: Well, that's fucking weird.
1: (laughs) How would you feel about that whole uh, intimate experience with your parents, like bundling you up and then lovingly tucking you in your.
0: I don't want any of that. I don't (laughs) want any of that to come anywhere near me.
1: Very strange. If two teens were interested in each other and both sets of parents approved, the girl's parents would invite the boy to their home, usually on a Saturday night. And the bundling began. The bundling bag, a staple of many family homes. Oh, yeah, because
0: who doesn't <laughs> just have a bundling bag lying around? Everybody has one. Mine. We got ours at Big Lots, so we saved a lot of money on our bundling <laughs> bag. But, you know, it's you can really get one anywhere.
1: It's a part of a good old English household.
0: What Midwesterner doesn't have a bundling bag? Honestly, if you don't, you can't call yourself one. Get the heck out. The (laughs) Midwest don't need you.
1: We are conservative enough that I could uh, believe that there are people who've got them bundling bags. You got to bundle up. Bundle up. Bundle up your britches. So the bundling bag was a makeshift chastity device normally tied around the lower half of the girl's body. Some versions of the ritual require each young person to be placed in a sack up to their necks if possible. Bundling traditions differed slightly between families, communities and regions, so depending on your bundler style, you could be gearing up for a bag race fantasy or pretending you're a human burrito to resist unholy temptation.
0: <laughs> can you imagine, can you imagine being like just 15, 16 years old, your first oh your gosh. first real love interest? So strange. Sitting in the same bed as them, but you're in a sack up to your neck.
1: (laughs) Yes, and your parents like her parents lovingly tuck you in. And it's like, don't you be touching each other now. Good night.
0: (laughs) I can't even imagine. Just the amount of heat.
1: (laughs) And it's extremely conservative, you know? Very, very. Today, this practice seems so obviously conservative, vanilla, modest, and over-the-top. But during its time, this practice stirred up quite the controversy with contemporary religious leaders. In the 19th century, Henry Reed Stills wrote in his History of Connecticut that bundling sapped in the foundation of morality and tarnish the unkunza which i don't even know like i said that wrong of, <laughs> of thousands of families which that word i i said that so wrong Asuka-ze, from what i could what? tell it's it's talking about he's referring to like a coat of arms so it seems his opinion was the practice was a disgrace to the family
0: well he needs to
1: learn how to talk
0: because that's silly.
1: <laughs> I literally don't know how to say it. That was my very poor attempt. Oh yeah.
0: my gosh. I'm <laughs> kind of blown away by this. <laughs>
1: it's very strange. Like, that would have been considered controversial at the time. Separating people with bags and wood was, like, nefariously too sexual. <laughs> so crazy.
0: Yeah. It's too much. We need bigger bags. We need thicker bags, and then it will be fine.
1: Bag over the head, as well.
0: No, no, I don't know if you could put a bag over that. Maybe a little, maybe with a little hole around the lips, and be like,
1: hello, i made a bag. <laughs> That'd be so terrifying. Can you imagine? You'd be like,
0: I'm so glad I could come on this first date with you, Barbara.
1: Can you imagine walking into a dark room, seeing two people stick straight on a bed, but it's just bundled they're bundled all the way up to their neck and then there's one on their head and they have a mouth hole and the boards between <laughs> them and they're just sitting they're laying straight and you walk in the room <laughs> and you just see no that'd be terrifying that's a horror movie
0: they're trying they're trying so hard to like lean to so that their mouths can touch and they can like just steal a kiss and they're like
1: come on come on <laughs> that's very creepy as well
0: yes if this whole thing is that this whole thing is creepy
1: (laughs) before we move on to the next odd dating ritual i'd like to leave you with this cautionary anti-bundling poem from 17th century america a bundling couple went to bed with all their clothes from foot to head that the defense might seem complete each one was wrapped in a sheet but oh, the bundling's such a witch. The man of her did catch the itch, and so provoked was the wretch that she off his a bastard catched. Well, okay. P.S. Despite the history of warnings and moral judgments like these, one in ten of every firstborn children in America during this time was born eight months after marriage. You know what I'm saying? mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't work you know what I'm saying didn't really work no during the italian renaissance a trend emerged prospective lovers would gift erotically inscribed belts to ladies of interest okay. belts pop up in plenty of poetry during this time featuring symbols of sexuality and beauty a particularly famous belt from italy presumably given as a seductive gift to a woman at some point has an inscription of the erotic and poetic variety embroidered on the inside. It reads, I will burn even as a phoenix with the fire of your kisses, and I will die. Life will return with the breath of your sighs, even as the net woven with the cords of love. Do you tie me to your heart as long as you will be faithful to me? That's one big belt. That's so intense. (laughs) It's really intense. Man.
0: Imagine wearing that belt.
1: (laughs) Or you'd be like, oh, horny all the time. You're like, oh, my boo got me this.
0: I would be like, man, the bar is really high for gifts now because this is a really nice belt.
1: Sick inscription.
0: Sick inscription. Everybody thinks I'm a sex god now. (laughs) So that's great. But this belt is like 300 inches long. Because of this big ass poem on it. I don't know. Shorter poems. That's what I'm saying.
1: What would you... Give me your poem that you would like to have on a sexy belt.
0: So if I was giving you a belt that told you everything I felt about you... It would just be like Hey.
1: <laughs> Comma.
0: Comma. <laughs> 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 Poetry is hard <laughs> and so am I. Then Love I'll just you. give you the belt.
1: <laughs> Love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna allow you to uh Poetry is hard <laughs> and so am I <laughs> Wow, music to my ears. Beautiful, (laughs) romantic.
0: I am a literary genius.
1: (laughs) Wow, you went really far with that one. You really complimented yourself.
0: Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Wow.
1: And so are, and so am I. You're hard. That's the point.
0: (laughs) That's the point. You got it. You figured it out. You deciphered my poetry. (laughs) Beautiful.
1: (laughs) Okay, we're going to move on to 7th century Britain, where the first Lonely Hearts ads were making their debut. Now known as Lonely Hearts advertisements, personal or meritorial ads were a common way to seek a partner back in the day. You can see one of the earliest Lonely Hearts ads published in 1695 on our Instagram at In a Dark Field. The ad, written by a 30-year-old man, highlighted his very good estate, announcing he was in search of some good young gentlewoman that has a fortune of 3,000 pounds or thereabouts. 3,000 pounds is roughly 300,000 pounds today. So he was searching for a lady with some real cash flow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Not shy about it. He's he like, listen, shy. she needs to have money, money, money for me. Interestingly, according to Mayora Wagle, which is how I think you say her name. Wow. Author of Labor of Love, The Invention of Dating, the word date in the context of relationship reaches back to 1896 it was first used in a newspaper column in which a young man laments that his girlfriend is seeing other people that they are quote fill in all my dates as in the dates on her calendar so the first time date was ever really officially recognized was in 1896 which is not even that long ago no which is crazy
0: just over 100 years
1: yeah, not that long ago. So we've made it from engaged toddlers in 1489, Spain, all the way to 1896. But last but not least comes the 1900s. Yep. Mm <laughs> hmm. <laughs> the last at the turn of the last century dating was still a new concept and law enforcement weren't sure about this whole dating thing but they were sure that something saucy and immoral was going on a young man and woman meeting in public him buying her food drink and gifts would have been deemed prostitution in the eyes of authorities and woman could and were arrested for it what?
0: Yes. That's crazy. Holy shit.
1: Just saying, 1900s, not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, 121 years.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: And timelines like these always remind me how new so many social norms are. Maybe it seems obvious, but socially and morally, we're not far from the time of these hyper-conservative, completely ridiculous expectations and practices being the social norm. It makes me wonder how people of the future will view 21st century dating. Will Tinder seem absurd as bundling in 2141? I don't know, but it's something cool to think about.
0: It is something cool to think about.
1: 2141.
0: 2141. What's everybody going to be
1: doing in 2141? Let's have a
0: 2141 party. Party like it's 2140. We're going to be dead by then. For sure. Speak for yourself. I'll be frozen.
1: My sources are theschooloflife.com, Atlas Obscura, historyextra.com, Bustle, The Guardian, Mental Floss, and Huff Post. And right now, I'm going to send the picture to Kyle.
0: Send it to me. Oh,
1: yeah. This is the first, one of the first Lonely Hearts ads published in 1695. Hmm. Just a crusty old advertisement for a dude looking for a chick with some dough.
0: He was like, look, I am super duper horny, okay? I've been looking at the same tree in my backyard for weeks, and it doesn't look like a butt anymore, guys. So I need something,
1: okay? But you got to be rich. Never talked that openly about sexuality. That was no, no, no bundling was controversial kyle they were definitely not posting openly about how they needed their wee wee serviced if you will
0: all right maybe you're right but i like my version better
1: you know what i will say it is fun
0: you know what else is fun this episode it's been a blast to listen to so go listen to it again from start to finish Because I'm sure it's short. When you get back here a second time, hello, how you doing for the second time? Tell a friend that you can listen to podcasts twice. And also follow us on social media at In a Dark Field. Or I'm Kyle J. Weeks and you're River J. Weeks on the social medias.
1: That's correct.
0: And we're going to say have a good week.
1: Have a good week
0: because i think it's probably tuesday by the time you'll hear this
1: tuesday
0: okay that's all and we'll see you for episode 5 sometime have fun listening to this other guy tell you some stuff thank you for listening to the middle of nowhere you can find us on twitter and instagram at in a dark field If you like the show, please tell a friend. Copyright 2020 Nowhere Audio.